I wonder if you're like me. Often when I get up in the morning I, and I have a busy day ahead, prayer seems to be the last thing I have time for. I, I tend to think that if there's, tons, if there's tons to do, then I'd better get on and do it. And as I think about that, as I should, that betrays the fact that I think that prayer is at best a luxury and at worst it's just unnecessary. Uh, Picture, if you will, uh, Clint Eastwood in a spaghetti western. A monk is standing in front of a dusty church. He's wearing a brown robe with a, a sort of rope around his waist. His hands are clasped prayerfully together as he looks meek, fragile and slightly undernourished. In front of him is Clint, the cool, unshaven hero on horseback with his poncho and his tilted hat. He just saved the village. Nervously, the monk asks, Can I go and help get the baddies with you, Clint? Clint answers, No, it's dangerous and you can't fight. But I want to help, says the monk, to which Clint contemptuously replies, Well, I suppose you can pray. And he gallops away to where the action is. And at that point, at that point in the movie, where do you want to be? Well, of course, we want to go with Clint. We aren't going to waste our time hanging around some totally ineffectual monk and watch him pray. Prayer is what delicate people do while those who get the job done are out getting the job done. To my shame, most of the time that is exactly how I think about prayer. But this morning, as we look at the last line of the Lord's Prayer, we should come to realise that that could not be further from the truth. That we not only need to pray, but listen, as we get down on our knees, we are where the action is. See, Jesus taught his disciples to, to pray this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But I wonder how many of us do pray like that every day. Well, if you're taking notes, here's the first heading. Deliver us from the evil one, a neglected prayer. We are in a spiritual battle. Even here in Leafy Forward, we are in a war zone. For there is an unseen world all around us, described by the Apostle Paul as rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Every day there is a battle raging around us and whether we like it or not, whether we opt in or not and whether we acknowledge it or not, we are caught up in that spiritual battle. There is a battle for the souls of men and women and it's going on right now. And that battle and the unseen forces are as real as anything that we can see with our eyes or touch with our hands. Do not be fooled. Just because the heavenly realm is unseen, it is no less real. After all, God is unseen. He is in the heavenly realms, but he's real. I take it that we believe that or we probably wouldn't be here. Believing this unseen realm exists and that Satan exists is really important if we're ever going to pray the prayer that we're thinking about today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, In his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis explains that one of Satan's greatest tactics is to persuade us not to take him seriously. I wonder if you've read this book. It's a great book to read. Many of you will have read it. It's worth reading again. Uh, The Screwtape Letters, letters from a senior devil, Screwtape, to a junior devil, Wormwood. 
And Screwtake, the senior devil, is telling Wormwood how to ensure that people don't follow Jesus and to make sure they do follow the ways of the evil one. This is what uh, Screwtape writes to the young devil Wormwood. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, that is, in this person's mind that he's trying not to get to follow Jesus, if any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. You see, Satan loves it when we fall for the caricature of a devil with horns, a pointed tail and a pitchfork in his hands, for then we don't take him seriously and we doubt he exists at all. And so we don't pray against him or pray for protection. To fail to take the unseen world seriously is a very dangerous game. See, the Bible not only tells us of the existence of a personal devil, but it also shows us how powerful he is. And to see that, come with me back to the reading that Heather read for us just a little bit earlier, Daniel chapter 7, page 892. And here we will see just how the Bible shows us just how powerful the forces of evil really are. Daniel chapter 7, page 892, and I'll read from verse 2 again. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. Listen to these descriptions. They are very powerful. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. And after that in my vision I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts and it had ten horns. Here is the terrifying picture of evil, of beasts that look to have walked straight out of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. They're coming up out of the sea. They are grotesque monsters and they are overwhelmingly powerful. Look again at the description halfway through verse 7. The fourth beast crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever whatever was left. These beasts are out to destroy. They are powerful and they are out to destroy. And who are these beasts? Well, they are the powers of evil that are, if you look at verse 17, the great beasts behind the godless kingdoms of the world. And so Daniel says in verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. I bet he was when he saw these these visions. Daniel 7, along with other parts of the Bible, tells us there is a battle raging all around us in the unseen world. And it is that battle that lies behind the havoc we read about every day in our newspapers. Please don't have the wrong view that there is this kind of battle going on in the unseen world and then there is um, everything that we do. Oh no, the point is this. 
what is going on in the unseen world is what is behind all the evil we see in the world. Now look, the news headlines demonstrate that there are battles to fight. Whether it be over the, the sanctity of life following the human embryo and fertility legislation that was passed this week in Parliament, or the evils of alcohol abuse with the news of a dramatic rise in sclerosis of the liver in young people, or in these past months the feeling that there's a battle to be fought against corrupt, corrupt governments throughout the world, whether it be in Burma for not allowing aid in to support those who need it, or Zimbabwe for oppressing its people, or China for its human rights violations, or even America for its refusal to take the issues of climate change seriously. These are battles to fight. But here in Daniel 7 and other parts of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, we see that we're not just fighting against flesh and blood when we are fighting those battles. Behind all human evil, there is something more powerful and more sinister than any evil human being. Behind evil and behind evil regimes is an unseen world of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And they are extremely powerful, far more powerful than you and me, more powerful than merely human organisations, more powerful than governments, but crucially not more powerful than God. Yes, Daniel chapter 7 demonstrates how powerful Satan is, but this, power, this chapter is also wonderfully reassuring that above all the powers of darkness is the living God, the ancient of days as he is called here. Look at uh, the Ancient of Days in verse 9. God the Father, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. The Ancient of Days, God the Father, is on heaven's throne. And then look down to verse 13. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. This is the Son of God. And he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Ancient of Days, God the Father is on the throne. The Son of Man, God the Son, has been given all authority and sovereign power. Yes, we're in a battle, a spiritual battle that we cannot win. But when we pray to this one, we pray to the one who already has won the victory. The Most High God, who has all authority. And so you see, when we see how powerful the evil darkness is all around us, we do see that we must pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. One of the uh, saddest and, and most disappointing things in life for me is to see the shipwrecked lives of other Christians. I'm sure others of you have come across it. Men and women who have stood for Christian truth. I think of men and women who I've stood side by side with in Christian ministry who've fallen into temptation. 
some who've given up the Christian life altogether, others who are a shadow of their former selves, people who no longer are in the front line of Christian ministry and service. The devil does that. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he's always prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Christians are a tasty morsel for the devil. He loves devouring another Christian today. Yummy, yummy. And he would love to take you down with him. You see, he is only going in one direction. He is going to hell and he wants to take you and me with him. And that's why we must pray this sort of prayer for protection, for deliverance. Deliver us from the evil one should be a part of our daily prayers. One pastor I was reading about this week has the word spiritual warfare as a note on his prayer list every day. He he prays down through his prayer list and then it says spiritual warfare and that reminds him to pray that God would put a hedge around the church that he's the pastor of. And to pray that the Lord would put a hedge around his family. And he prays for those who are undergoing the attacks of Satan, praying for their deliverance. See, that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Jesus has taught us to pray like that. In this prayer that we've probably prayed hundreds of times before, some of us thousands of times, Jesus tells us to pray like that. And so Don Carson asks, When did you last pray such a prayer? Is it not a mark of spiritual carelessness and insensitivity to the spiritual dimensions of human existence when such prayers are neglected? And I read that and I thought, yes, it is. I don't pray this. Not every day, as I should. And if we don't pray this kind of prayer for deliverance from the evil one, not to be led into temptation, it can only mean that we don't take seriously the Bible's teaching on the power of evil. Or maybe worse, that we think we're above falling, which is very dangerous because pride comes before a fall. Well, firstly then, deliver us from the evil one, a neglected prayer. Second, lead us not into temptation, a necessary prayer. One of the things that struck me, I never thought about this before preparing this week, is that this prayer, lead us not into temptation, comes immediately after the prayer that we looked at last week, forgive us our sin. See, having sinned, having having fallen in one way or another, and having asked for forgiveness, the real Christian will want to avoid going that way again. Lead us not into temptation. When I uh, speak to people who are not committed Christians, unbelievers, people who are maybe feel uneasy about the church, one of the things they hate the most is Christians who they think are hypocrites, who just say, oh, I can ask for forgiveness, I can go and do whatever I like after that. You see how the Lord's Prayer is constructed? You'd never do that. Forgive us our sin. The next thing you say, lead us not into temptation. I really don't want to go that way again. Having confessed our sin then, we should have quickly these words on our lips, lead us not into temptation, don't let me fail again. There's been much ink spilt over what this actually means, praying that God would not lead us into temptation. Well, he doesn't tempt us anyway, does he? James chapter 1 verse 13 I think helps us. James wrote these words. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, God is not the one who tempts. Satan does that. 
So this is a prayer, lead us not into temptation, is a prayer for the Lord to lead us away from evil and into good and wholesome things. It's actually a prayer, I believe, that acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Asking the Lord not to allow me to be tempted by the evil one to the point where I cannot stand. See, when I think of this, I think of the book of Job. Remember that amazing book in the Old Testament? Job, tempted by Satan. Remember Satan threw his worst at Job. Why? To try and get him to curse God. And boy, did Job have to suffer. But he would not curse God. But the important thing is, we read at the beginning of that that book, that Satan was only allowed to tempt Job as far as the Lord allowed him. That, I think, is what this prayer is about. Protect me. Deliver me from the evil one. Lead me not into temptation. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's the point of this prayer, isn't it? Father, don't let Satan tempt me to the point of me giving up. Oh, we will always come across temptation. There's no way that we're going to avoid that. As one wag wrote, lead us not into temptation. I can find that perfectly well by myself, thank you very much. We'll always face temptation. This is a prayer that we'll be spared temptation, the sort of temptation that we cannot withstand. Even praying this prayer, I think, is a great sign of spiritual maturity. As a young Christian, I I used to often worry about falling away as a Christian. Do you remember that when you became a Christian? Did you look ahead, all the years ahead, and think, I want to make sure I keep going. I was anxious about whether I, I would keep going in the Christian life, whether I'd give it all up one day. My little boy Joshua, five years old, said just that to me just the other day. It was remarkable. We were having breakfast. It was just me and him at the breakfast table, unusually. I don't know, I can't remember why. This was about five, six weeks ago. And he looked at me quite out of the blue and he said, Daddy, I'm worried that I won't follow Jesus when I'm older. And he got down off his seat and I got him next to me and I I gave him a big hug and I held him tight and I quoted to him John 6, 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And I said, Joshua, you've come to Jesus and now Jesus won't ever drive you away. And as I held him, I held him a bit tighter and I said, just as I'm holding you tight now, Jesus is holding you tighter than that and he'll never let you go. Isn't that wonderful to know? You and I can be reassured and assured that God will hang on to me. And that's what he's promised. We should have that assurance but I do believe there is something very healthy that sees our relationship with the Lord so precious that we have in the back of our minds a worry that it won't be wrecked. No, it's it's hopeless if all the time we're worried that we're not going to keep going as a Christian. We shouldn't have that, but we should have that little worry. Keep me faithful, Lord. See how I think of my marriage. I feel very secure in my marriage. I feel confident that Caroline will always be there for me, that she'll not leave me, that she'll love me, that she'll be faithful to me. I'm totally confident of that. I feel secure in my marriage. And yet there is something I believe that is healthy, having in the back of my mind, that I never want my relationship with Caroline to be ruined. Not because I think it will be, but because I know that other marriages have been and because I know that neither of us are above temptation. 
and because our relationship is so precious that I don't want it to be spoilt in any way. Now you see, shouldn't we feel that way about our relationship with the Lord? We should feel secure. It's unhealthy to be on the edge always about whether we're going to be kept by the Lord or not. And yet we've seen others fall away. We've seen people who were sold out for Jesus nowhere with him or drifting far from him without any passion to serve him. And so it's right and healthy to pray that we wouldn't be tempted to that point. That the temptations of life would not grab us. That's what this prayer is about. Let me ask you, Christian, is that your desire? To be faithful to the Lord to the end of your days? Well, this is a necessary prayer to pray, isn't it? because of the many temptations that come our way every day, temptations that are always trying to pull us away from the Lord, because that's what Satan's about. He's heading down to hell, he wants to take you with him. So as I get down on my knees each morning, I should be thinking, what are my battles? What are my temptations today? What is it that is going to take me away from following the Lord? And when I thought of that, then I should pray for the Lord's deliverance from those things. Look, honestly, you know as well as I do, uh, temptations come our way every day in all sorts of ways. Just think of the, uh, the advertising that we're bombarded by every day. Advertising telling me that I can only be content if I drive this car or have this holiday. Advertising insisting that I'll only be satisfied if I eat this food or wear those clothes. And what that constant advertising is is telling me is that Jesus is not my satisfaction. And so I'm just tempted to think I'll find satisfaction in other things. You see, drifting away from him, very subtle. As we were talking about this as a team this week, I realised just how subtle these temptations are. Like the films I watch. See, I take it that we try to avoid films and television that is unhelpfully sexually explicit or that uses language or humour that is base and rude. I just take it that as Christians we avoid those things. But the temptations through films are, well, more subtle than that. See, what about the romantic comedy where two people, both married to other people, fall in love and as you get caught up in the plot you find yourself hoping that these two people leave their respective spouses so they can be together and enjoy the rest of their lives together, a life of fun and love and romance. Suddenly you found yourself hoping that people part. Oh, it's only a plot in a film. Of course, watching that movie doesn't mean that you're you're instantly going to uh, go and commit adultery, but you see how subtly your morals will be shaped by watching that sort of stuff. Lead us not into temptation. What about the things we read? Uh, Caroline's been in hospital uh, this week. It's been a, a funny old week. She was in for 24 hours. I won't go into all the details. I will tell you some of the details. She had a collapsed lung. And so she's been told now that she can't go scuba diving ever and she can't uh, fly for the next six weeks. And I told her when she came out, that's a complete blow because it was coming up to half term and I'd arranged for her a scuba diving trip on, in, in Jamaica and now we can't go. It's a surprise for us. It's a complete blow. Uh, sorry, I, shouldn't, I didn't do that at all. But um, Anyway, Caroline was in hospital for 24 hours and she's out and she's fine and she's doing really well. And uh, as I, while she was in, she got some magazines to kind of pass the time 
a day, you know, because it was a boring 24 hours of having tests and things. And while she was in, I, obviously I went to visit her and, and picked up the magazines and started reading through. I probably should have been talking to her, but anyway, I was doing that. <laughs> and I was reading through the magazines. And as I flicked through them while I was visiting her, they were all about what I look like, how I can be successful, what makes me acceptable. They're all about image and having a fantastic home. You know the sort of magazine. Nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but you see, if you keep reading this stuff, it's very subtle. I can become so easily dissatisfied with my lot in life and lured into having my mind shaped so that I believe that what really matters is what I look like and how I can be successful and how my home is furnished. And you see, Jesus isn't enough anymore. Do you see how it happens? Very subtle. And even if it doesn't affect me directly, I can begin to push my children towards being successful and having a nice home and not just rejoicing that they are rounded, emotionally secure Christian people. It's so subtle. But it all leaves me less than satisfied with Jesus and striking, striving for things that really don't matter. Satan's behind all that. He loves it. And if those are the temptations that are coming all the time, they're also the things that you and I have as individuals that we find particularly hard to stand up against. We know what they are. I know what they are for me. You'll know what they are for you. We all face particular temptations. Oh, for men, it's often sex and status. For women... I don't know, I'm not a woman, but you know what they are. What is it? Is it gossip? Is it, is it comparing yourself to another woman who has everything together and she seems to be perfect and you want that? I don't know, whatever it is. Every day we're having these temptations on the internet, on the television, at the school gate, in my workplace. And many of these temptations, they just chip away. They're not great big temptations to do something really bad. They chip away and they wear us down changing the way we think and eventually making us accept the unacceptable. So just consider the human fertilisation and embryo bill that has been passed this week. That would never have been passed 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago in this country. Why has it been passed? Just think about the work the devil has done over the years so that we think this stuff is okay. And that we think it's not worth fighting for, which is probably why most of us didn't fight for it or pray for it or do very much about it. That's what Satan has done. You see, he's chipped away and oh, that's what happens now. Lead us not into temptation. It's such a necessary prayer to pray because it's such a subtle thing. Deliver us from the evil one. It's a neglected prayer because we don't take Satan seriously. And Jesus says we should pray this prayer every day. Well, there you are, the Lord's Prayer. As we've studied it over these past two months, we've learned so much about prayer. And, of course, there's still so much to learn in the school of prayer. We haven't, it's not as if we've done it. And let me encourage you as we end this series on prayer, to go on thinking about prayer. Next week, you see, we'll be looking at the book of Zechariah. We could easily say, oh yeah, prayer, right, okay, done that. Let me encourage you to go on thinking about prayer. If you found some of these sermons useful, get the CD of the sermon, visit the website, download them, listen to them again, get it into your mind, these truths. Let me encourage you to grab one of these two books that we've recommended in our Essential Christian Library. 
And either this one, A Call to Spiritual Reformation by Don Carson, helping us to, um, to think through how to pray the way the Apostle Paul prayed in the New Testament. It's not an easy read, but it's well worth every moment you spend reading it. Or, or this one, a little easier to read. A great book to read. Don't just stand there pray something. Ronald Dunn. You could do that as follow-up if you've been challenged on prayer. And let me ask you, how are you getting on in your praying? There'll be some here who've never, re- never really prayed. Not like this, not daily, as a routine, as an essential part of life. Let me encourage you, if that's you, to begin to have a daily time of reading your Bible and praying. Get some study notes. If you're not sure where to go with study notes, I'll help you. I held some up the other, the other week. Explore study notes are great. And have a prayer time every day. 15 minutes, that's all you need to start with. Read the Bible for five, seven or eight minutes and then pray for seven minutes about the events of the day, for your family, for your own needs, for your friends to become Christian. You'll soon find that you don't, seven minutes isn't long enough. You've got so much to pray about. Others of you, well, you've always known that prayer is important. You've got stuck in your praying. Your prayer time's dry. I know that feeling. Use the Lord's Prayer then as a pattern for your prayers. Pray about things you don't normally pray about. Reflect in prayer that God is your Father who's in heaven. Have a desire for his honour and glory. Be more concerned about the things of his kingdom. Pray that his will would be done. Learn to be reliant upon him, asking for daily bread. Ask often for forgiveness. Ask for strength to get you through each day avoiding temptation. That will freshen up your prayer life. There'll be married couples here who've never prayed together. And maybe you have prayed, but you've stopped praying together. Will you start again? It doesn't have to be long and involved. Uh, pray as you go to bed at night. Pray for five or ten minutes at night. And by the end of the week, you'll have prayed for more than an hour together. And let me ask, as a church family, how's our praying going? Let's be a praying church. In twos or threes, it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? After church, as you get chatting to somebody, somebody says, I had a terrible week, or I've got a really difficult week ahead. And you come back into the church building and you just get down and you pray together for each other. That would be a super thing to do, wouldn't it? In your small groups, don't let prayer be squeezed out. Do your Bible study. Talk about what you need to pray about, but don't talk for so long that you don't actually do the praying. Make sure you pray together. And how about the monthly church family prayer meeting? It is good. We've got one on Wednesday. This Wednesday. See, come along. How a church prays together is a great way of taking the spiritual temperature of a church. This Wednesday, 8 o'clock, over in the church hall. It's half term, so a number of people will be away. You know what would thrill me? Is if this Wednesday was the biggest prayer meeting we've ever had, even though... There are lots of people away. Will you join us? Let me tell you, if you join us, you will not be embarrassed. You will not be asked to pray something out loud. If you don't want to do that, you'll not be asked to pray anything. And let me tell you this as well. The time absolutely whizzes by. The amount of times that I've walked down thinking, oh, an hour and a half of prayer, and I feel all tired. And I've told you before, I walk back up to the vicarage, I'm skipping along like a little lamb. Refreshed, excited. It always does that. It's always encouraging. And we need encouraging. We need to encourage each other in this because prayer is difficult. Well, we've been thinking about it for the past two months. Now can we work hard 
at doing it as a mark of dependence upon the Lord and ultimately to his praise and glory. Let me pray for us now. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father, we thank you that as we come to you, we come to one who is more powerful than Satan. And yet we don't want to take him lightly. We want to take the spiritual battle seriously. We know that so many have gone before us and have fallen. Some drifted away from Christian things altogether. We ask you to keep us from that. We pray you'd help us to be people who pray regularly, daily. We pray that prayer would not be seen as something of a a luxury, but as an absolute necessity to get through life serving you. So please help us to encourage each other in this discipline of prayer. Help us to work hard at it. And as we do, may it be a great joy to us that we find our relationship with you strengthened, our lives more faithful, and your name glorified through all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.